0: Bill Barnwell, if you're anything like me, sometimes you go on shows and forget which one you're actually talking (laughs) on. But according to our records here,
1: it's been a while since you've been at ESPN Daily. So welcome back. Honestly, Izzy, I do a daily podcast in my house every day. There's just only this is one of the rare times we're actually publishing it onto the internet. Uh, very bad takes that have been delivered in my office to nobody in particular. Now I get to do that on here again, which is always a delight. All right. So
0: a slightly edited version of the Bill Barnwell at Home podcast yes. is coming to you on ESPN Daily. <laughs> We have week seven of the NFL regular season coming up. That means the trade deadline is quickly approaching. Now, I'm from an NBA background where the trade Mm -hmm. deadline is the most dramatic portion of the season. (laughs) But it hasn't always been the same for the NFL. That seems to be changing over the years. But what are your thoughts on the trade deadline right now?
1: Absolutely. Things have changed, Izzy. You're very astute. The NFL is much more trade-friendly now, and there's a variety of reasons why that's happened. A, A new generation of general managers is more comfortable, I think, making deals, evaluating and valuing players on other teams' rosters. It's frankly just easier to watch tape on other teams in the computer era. So it's easier to evaluate than maybe in years past you would have had to ask for the film. It would have taken a couple days. You would have had to chop it all up. That process is a lot quicker. Um, I think that because players are moving more often now from team to team, schemes are maybe a little easier to learn. Some of the language is easier to learn. It's not as hard or the playbook might not be quite as thick Mm -hmm. and, and, and obtuse as it was 25, 30 years ago. And then I think you are seeing the influence of of the fans and of social media and of other sports where trades are such an essential part of the conversation. I think there's more pressure on coaches and GMs to consider trades to try and solve problems. So we saw 19 trades last year in season, which would have been unfathomable Hmm. 30 or 40 years ago. And of course, the most notable of those deals was the Christian McCaffrey trade, which transformed the Niners offense, made a folk hero Hmm. out of a seventh round pick nobody had heard of this time a year ago, and almost took the Niners all the way to the Super Bowl. So... It's not just about making idle trades to be bored or to entertain ourselves. These trades can be dramatic difference makers when it comes to changing the course of a team season.
0: Throughout the sports world, trade deadlines tend to be one of the most reliable generators of storylines and intrigue. A star player stuck on a bad team could create months of speculation and headlines. But historically, the NFL had kept major player movement to the offseason, making for a largely inactive deadline. Until now. So today, Bill Barnwell makes his triumphant return to ESPN Daily, helping us understand how the football trade market has changed over time and giving us a full breakdown of this year's possible movers and shakers, including a few surprises. I'm Israel Gutierrez. It's Thursday, October 19th.
2: This is ESPN Daily. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live.
0: Okay, Bill, so we're about a third of the way through the NFL season with 17 games. That math is a little bit more difficult to do these days. But uh, (laughs) the trade deadline's just about two weeks away. There have been some teams already sort of signaling what they're going to do and making moves. Denver comes to mind. This process often gives you insight into how teams are sort of evaluating themselves and the direction they're going into. So just in broad strokes to start here, how active do you expect this trade market
1: to be? There'll definitely be deals. It may not be quite as active as it was a year ago. And the reason I believe that might be the case is simply because we don't know how many teams are actually great right now. This has not been a year where there's been dominant teams at the top of the NFL. There's no more undefeated teams here six weeks into the season. Defense is up, offense is down. I think there's been a real uncertainty at the top of the market where, where I think a team like the Eagles or the Dolphins, can they, feel, they can feel pretty confident. They're going to be playoff mm-hmm. teams and they, they could justify adding somebody as they have in years past. But there's so many teams here in the middle ground, teams like the Commanders, the Jets, the Packers, the Saints, the Falcons, the Texans, the Raiders, where you could make a case they should be buyers. You could make a case they could be sellers. And so What happens over the next two weeks if they win both their games, if they lose both their games, that might be the difference between those teams going out and trying to acquire players for a playoff push or moving on from some of their veterans and rebuilding for next year. So Mm -hmm. until we get that clarity, and I don't know that we'll get it over the next two weeks, I would imagine there'll be fewer teams willing to make the sort of veteran trades for future draft picks that really make this kind of market happen, but there'll still be a few. Right. And before we can sort of assess those
0: teams and get the names, right? Because that's the sexy part of trade rumors and possibilities. Before we get those names, there seems to be sort of the value of draft picks being what gauges a lot of these deals. Mm -hmm. What does a first round draft pick mean to a team? Is it the same as it used to be second round, third round, et cetera? So It seems like that's been changing over the years and making for a more active trade market. But Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a consensus here, but where is that trend currently?
1: Okay, so this is actually a really fascinating nerd topic. I Mm. love talking about the value of draft picks and how they've changed. So Izzy, you have opened yourself up for a conversation you may not actually (laughs) enjoy in practice, but you can hear it in my voice. The, The nerd in me is so excited to talk about this stuff because there's this huge arbitrage opportunity happening in the NFL right now. I'll bring this back to the 1990s. It's my time. And I'll bring it back to Jimmy Johnson, who won several Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys, built a dynasty there through the draft. And one of the things that came out of that was a draft value chart, which is commonly referred to around the NFL as the Jimmy Johnson chart. And what, what it did basically was assign a value, a totally arbitrary value from all I can tell, to each pick in the NFL draft from one to 224. The first mm. overall pick on the Jimmy Johnson chart is worth 3,000 points. The last pick, 224 on this chart, worth two points. And so that became such a popular shorthand for draft pick value that every team in the NFL knows what the Jimmy Johnson chart is and refer to it. But what's happened over the last 20 years especially, is that there's been lots of research publicly and privately into the draft. And sort of leaving the Johnson chart aside, trying to understand how valuable each pick is relative to their actual NFL production. Most famous of these was a study about 15 years ago now by Kate Bassey and Richard Thaler on efficiency in the NFL draft. It found that the first few picks in the draft were wildly overrated and that second round picks were actually more valuable than they had seemed and then on top of that, in addition to this research, the economics of the draft changed. When you look at the draft in the 2006 to 2010 range, the top picks in the draft were getting paid more money right. Right, guaranteed before they ever entered the league than active NFL players. Someone like Matthew Stafford, when he joined the league out of Georgia, or Sam Bradford, when he was the first overall pick in 2010, he took home $50 million guaranteed. That was an NFL record before he ever stepped on the field. So the NFL and the NFL Players Association negotiated a new CBA in 2011 with a rookie wage scale, and that capped the value each player could make and assigned it basically to the value of each pick. So Cam Newton, who was the first overall pick in 2011, the year after Bradford got 50 million, he only got 22 million. Hmm. Uh, as you learn, is see timing is everything when it comes to the NFL draft, and because of that, because that that the top value of those picks is now capped. Those top picks have become more valuable all over again. The upside here, obviously, is landing someone like an Andrew Luck or a Trevor Lawrence, where you get a quarterback who makes less than $10 million a year over the first four seasons of his career in a market where, say, a Daniel Jones gets north of $40 million per year on a veteran contract. The Miami Dolphins are experiencing that right now with Tua Tungavailoa. Exactly. They can go out and trade for a Tyree Kill and pay him significant money or sign to Armstead and pay him significant money, trade for a Bradley Chubb and give him significant money because they have Tua tango Loa making a fraction of what he would be worth if he were a free agent. And so we've now seen the price tag for those first-round picks continue to rise. So how has this shifting price tag for draft picks changed the trade market? Is he the problem with all of this? Is now, instead of having one chart that everyone knows there's 32 different charts that don't all talk to one another. And so even though nobody actually, at this point, I would say very few teams actually believe that the Jimmy Johnson chart is a good representation of what picks are actually worth, they're the only language everyone has to negotiate when it comes to making trades. So you'll have teams who think picks are worth one thing but are talking about them in a totally different way when it comes to trading with other teams because they don't want to tap their hand and say what they think this pick is actually worth. So you have this fascinating sort of, you know, faux conversation about what picks are actually worth and then what each team feels picks are actually um, valued at when it comes to what they've seen historically. So there's basically two languages when it comes to draft picks. One of them is not accurate but it actually matters when it comes to negotiating trades. And one is more accurate, but is kept behind closed doors for each team. Okay, so when you see what a
0: player like Christian McCaffrey did to the 49ers last year after they got him from the Panthers, and I'm sure that sort of adds to teams' assessment of what a draft pick is worth and whether they should make a trade, what players do you think might be in that category of availability this season? And what might they be worth? Ooh, that's a great question.
1: I I would start with maybe Daniil Hunter, who is an excellent pass rusher for the Minnesota Vikings, a player who can transform a defense at his best, turns 29 next month. But the complicating factor in Daniil Hunter's value, and I wrote about this in my column last week for ESPN, is that he's not under contract for 2024. Mm -hmm. And when he signed his most recent deal with the Vikings, he has a no franchise tag clause included in his deal. So, if you're trading for Daniel Hunter from the Vikings, you have to expect that he's not going to be on your roster in 2024 unless you sign him to a massive new deal before free agency. So, he's a rental. Mm -hmm. He's really valuable and a super talented player, but would that net you a first-round pick? My impression was no, And, and it seems sort of crazy because he plays a premium position. He's still not 30. He has a pretty consistent level of production, and every team needs more pass rushers. It's like every NBA team needs more 3 and D guys. Every baseball team needs more relievers. Every hockey team needs a hot goalie. You know, every NFL team needs more edge rushers in the postseason, needs more pass rushers when you get to January and February. But would a team really be willing to give up a first round pick for a rental like Hunter? My instinct is no. And that's definitely changed. That There have been teams who would be willing to make that trade 30 years ago. And I, I think even the teams that are most aggressive with first round picks would not make that move now.
0: Not to bring up my hometown Dolphins again, but they seem to be uh, very much in a lot of people's eyes right now. A very fun team to watch. And they've done a lot of these things. And so what did we learn, if anything, from their acquisition of Bradley Chubb last year? Was it worth it so far?
1: That's a great comparable to bring up. Bradley Chubb is another young pass rusher with some track record of success, was off to a really hot start last year with the Broncos when they traded him to the Dolphins for a first-round pick. And that move hasn't really worked out. He's had his four sacks over the ensuing, I believe, almost a full season of football across 2022 and 2023 for the Dolphins, plus. Miami had to give Chubb a significant extension Great. as part of the deal or, or shortly after signing the deal. So that's a, a, a one that I think might give teams some pause. I know the Christian McCaffrey trade might cause some teams to consider being more aggressive for a playmaker relative to what they were last year when Christian McCaffrey did not net the Panthers a first-round pick in return from the Niners, but the Chubb deal might go in the opposite direction.
0: Yeah, I mean, there aren't any undefeated teams, and we're only through week six, so it feels like things are up for grabs. So you might get some teams that feel a little bit desperate uh, to win a Super Bowl. So who else might be somebody of high value on the market this year? What other names should we pay
1: attention to? I would think about someone like Jerry Judy, who Unfortunately, seems to have crossed Steve Smith Sr. recently. Would not (laughs) recommend doing that. But Jerry Judy was a player who, of course, people had high expectations for coming into the NFL. Was a first-round pick with the Broncos. It's never really come together with Denver. His quarterback play, to put it nicely, in regards to Russell Wilson, who I think I've talked about more on ESPN Daily than any other person, uh, has not gone well. Um, But even last year, he averaged more than two yards per route run, which is a really good indicator that you are a talented and possibly game-changing NFL receiver. That could be a McCaffrey-esque situation where you put him on the right team with the right play caller, get him in the right offensive scheme. He could be a difference maker for your offense. There's all kinds of players who... If teams at the very bottom of the league are willing to give up and basically tank for next season, that could unlock some really talented players like a Brian Burns or a Pat Sertain. But I don't know if those deals are necessarily going to happen.
0: Okay, well, you mentioned tanking. So after the break, (laughs) we'll get into some teams that are tanking potentially for Caleb Williams.
2: Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from $25 and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags and more or gift lists like for the mom who has everything or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras and Samsung Smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's dot com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's dot com slash gift finder.
0: So, Bill, there's always these teams that consider themselves Super Bowl contenders from the beginning of the season, but are maybe missing a piece and sort of can figure that out by this point. Are there any of those teams
1: on the radar that you think could or should make a move? In a year where nobody's great, there are a few teams who are good enough that they can feel confident they're going to make the postseason, and all those teams have holes that could be filled via trade. So I'll start with uh, a team that's looking up where their fans are excited for the first time in decades. I'll go with the Detroit Lions, who have a big lead in the NFC North. They could actually compete for the top seed in the NFC. Everyone talks about how great their culture is. Izzy, I know how important organizational culture is to you. They could go out and add a difference maker and feel like they're going to get more out of that player than wherever that player was previously. And they could desperately use a second pass rusher next to Aiden Hutchinson, uh, who has been just an absolute phenom so far this season. And they're not the only ones. Look elsewhere in the NFC. It's law. It's ESPN law to talk about the Cowboys when it comes to making trades, so I have (laughs) to get them in here as well. But they should be active on the trade market. This is probably their best shot at winning a Super Bowl over the next several seasons, given that CeeDee Lamb and Micah Parsons are currently on rookie-scale deals. They're about to get massive raises as early as next offseason. At the very least, they don't have to make a major move. They're not going to go out and add a superstar. But Given that they struggled so much in the red zone after being the best red zone offense in football a year ago, I would expect them to add a power back to help out Hmm. in short yardage. I wonder if they would consider reuniting with Ezekiel Elliott, who it's fair to say is kind of not doing much for the Patriots who are not doing much on their own as well.
0: See, those are the names and the teams that will eventually get the NFL trade deadline on par with the NBA (laughs) trade deadline. Just discussing those. And by the way, you joked about Dan Campbell and Lions culture. Um, Where did Dan Campbell begin his head coaching career? That's right, Mm. down here in Miami. So he might have learned (laughs) a thing or two from Eric Spolstra.
1: Ah, heat culture osmosis.
0: I see where you're getting at. So, Bill, we've mentioned the Denver Broncos, and we've seen the start of their fire sale over the last couple of weeks, trading defensive end Randy Gregory to the Niners and releasing
1: Frank Clark outright. Could we see more from Denver here? I would be surprised if the Broncos were not more active. Our our Adam Schefter characterized the Broncos essentially as being willing to trade anything on defense that wasn't nailed down. And I, I would not fault them given how horrific their defense has been this season. The big name on this list that could be available for trade is Pat Sertain, who I mentioned at the end of the last segment, a, a top three NFL cornerback who's still on his rookie deal, still has up to five more years of team control when you consider his rookie contract in the first two years of the franchise tag. Surtain is an absolute superstar, and he would net the Broncos two first-round picks, which would kickstart their rebuild after trading so many first-round picks to acquire Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. But this defense... Allowed 70 points to the Dolphins with certain in the mix, <laughs> is he? Imagine how bad they would be without him. But if anyone knows how valuable tanking for Caleb Williams can be, it might be Sean Payton. I I, I think he's a generational player. But at some point, we're going to move to a lottery system in the NFL. Right? Because this is a player that that possibly does that, where... Clubs begin to lose to try to put themselves in that position. That's not been a problem to date with our league. But this player, I think, is the type of player that we would look back on in five years and say, he's why the lottery exists now.
0: Well, if you saw the exchange between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson on the sideline this past week, it might be clear and obvious that he would like to move on to Caleb Williams. (laughs) But what other teams do you see in that mix at the end of the season?
1: The teams who are at the bottom of the standings, the Arizona Cardinals are a team we've expected all year to be in that conversation where they're either actively tanking or at least being very open to considering trading away veteran players. The problem, frankly, has been that they've been too good for their own good so far this year. They're playing hard. Uh, Joshua Dobbs, their quarterback they acquired just before the season, has looked very impressive. They have a question about whether they want to bring Kyler Murray back and how much they want to rush him into the lineup. If they have veterans, they could trade. Uh, Hollywood Brown comes to mind for me as a wide receiver who could interest teams around the NFL and is a pending free agent. The Panthers are in a bind because they are the worst team in football, right. and they do not have their first-round pick because they traded it to the Bears earlier in, in the 2023 offseason to help acquire Bryce Young, who is now their quarterback, who they took with the first overall pick in this year's draft. They have no reason to tank, given that their draft pick is not theirs, so they, they get nothing out of finishing with the worst record in football, but they might want to acquire other teams' draft picks in the hope that they can amass... Uh, draft capital and uh, try to rebuild their roster around Bryce Young. And that could include a deal for Brian Burns, who attracted trade interest last year. The Rams reportedly offered two first-round picks and more Hmm. to try and acquire Burns from the Panthers. And Carolina said no, which has now led to a contract impasse because Burns wants to be paid like a player who is worth turning down two first round picks and a second round pick as part of a trade package. And the Panthers are not necessarily interested in, in paying him as much as that would entail. So he could be back on the market this year. And then I'll finish with two teams in the AFC. The Tennessee Titans are two and four, but they're without Ryan Tannehill now for a stretch as he's dealing with a high ankle sprain. New general manager, Rand Carthon already moved on from a series of veterans this offseason. And if Tennessee wants to you know, decide, they're done. They have veterans who could be interesting additions. Someone like Derrick Henry, their star running back, or uh, Kevin Byard, the excellent safety, who was uh, a possible cut candidate this offseason, could be on the market. And then, in something that would have seemed insane for most of the last 20 years, the Patriots could consider tanking either by actively trading away veteran players, or simply just letting the Patriots go out on the field and continue to embarrass Bill Belichick and the legacy that they've had over the past 25 seasons. The Patriots, of course, are 1-5. and Their only victory so far this season is against the Jets. They have looked almost worse with each passing week. They were competitive this week in a loss to the Raiders, but they get the Bills and the Dolphins over the next two weeks. And if they start 1-7... and Bill Belichick is an emotional man, is all I will say, (laughs) and may make some emotional moves. If Mac Jones is not the future of that franchise, which with each passing week seems less and less likely, the Patriots would be incentivized to tank and try and land either Caleb Williams or Drake May with one of the first two picks in this year's draft.
0: Well, let me ask you about another team that might have shifted their focus a little bit and might be looking at the USC quarterback, Caleb Williams, as well. And that's the Minnesota Vikings. I know they have an interesting situation there because they have Kirk Cousins, who also has a no-trade clause. Any potential there with them heading south and looking to go in a different direction?
1: It would make sense. The Vikings are 2-4. and They have not looked good so far this season. They've been a little bit unlucky, but after going 11-0 in games decided by eight points or less last year, uh, having a little bit of bad luck just seems like they are due. I know that's the gambler's fallacy, but uh, I'm still going to argue that they're just reaping the just desserts of what they enjoyed last season. And they got the Niners next week. They'll probably be two and five a week from now. And Kirk Cousins does not just have a no-trade clause, his deal, but he's also a free agent after this season. So the Vikings are caught in a bind. Does it make sense for them to re-sign Kirk Cousins to a significant deal that now that he's in his late 30s because they don't have an alternative at quarterback? Or do they go out and tank? Cousins would make that easier if you could trade him with the Jets as an obvious landing spot given the Aaron Rodgers injury. But if Cousins doesn't want to waive his no trade clause, which Our reporting has suggested he's not interested in doing so with the Vikings bench Kirk Cousins and quite outwardly and actively tank for the 2024 draft. I think that would be a hard one to countenance. So Cousins might be good enough to keep the Vikings from getting the quarterback they need to replace him next season.
0: Okay, well, let me ask you one last team. The Cleveland Browns might be the team that they could convince themselves, hey, we could make the jump from playoff team to Super Bowl contender with one offensive player. So who or what
1: can the Cleveland Browns do? That's tough. I I would lean towards them adding a receiver. They do have Amari Cooper, who's extremely talented, but does have... A history of nagging injuries, he plays through a lot of stuff and is less than 100% typically by December and January. They have lots of young players like Elijah Moore, Donovan Peoples-Jones across from him. But going out and getting a Judy or a Marquise Brown could be a difference maker for that offense. The only problem is they're saddled with Deshaun Watson, the $230 million fully guaranteed quarterback who has both been terrible, an awful person off the field, and is now injured, dealing with a shoulder injury. So that defense is incredible, and it helped carry them to an upset victory over the Niners on Sunday. But their problem is unfortunately so deeply entrenched into every fabric of that organization that I'm not sure even adding a wide receiver could make a difference for them.
0: Bill, you were right. I could definitely hear it in your voice. I was very happy to excite the inner nerd in you. Thank you so much for the
1: time. I'm going to go just play with my uh, personal trade simulator for the rest of the day now. (laughs) Thank you so much.
0: I'm Israel Gutierrez. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.